Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. goes without saying that uh, I love your president. We have much in common because uh, we're serving on the same team, the team of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do want you to know that that G on the shirt that he's wearing stands for God's team. All right, we're on God's team. Well, um, uh, my wife Tammy and I, we love your president and his wife Charlotte and uh, thank God for their friendship. It's good to be back at Southeastern. Didn't know J.D. Greer would be here. Good to see my friend. J.D., and uh, wow, what a great attendance at chapel, and uh, I'm grateful that you're here. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 5. While you're finding that, let me say a word about Dr. Ronnie Floyd and his challenge to you to be a part of this prayer movement. Uh, I was privileged to be one of five pastors uh, who were at, we were at the Cove and walking around looking at Billy Graham, his pictures, the uh, crusades there, the cities across the nation, the world. And as we looked at all that, we said, you know, we don't see anything like this taking place today. And uh, we long for that, to see a move of God in our lifetime. And we said, well, why don't we start praying for it? And so we went back, and, and we had lunch at Five Guys. Now, it's five pastors, and we're eating at Five Guys. It wasn't planned that way, but we just figured it out after it happened. And, uh, and I was thankful that God let me be one of the Five Guys at Five Guys because um, uh, God started something that day. Uh, we went back and we planned our first prayer gathering in Dallas, and we had pastors that met there, and uh, God really moved in that meeting. And so uh, they wanted to have another one. We had one in Atlanta. And then in the providence of God, uh, Dr. Floyd would be elected president of our convention, and now he's leading the entire convention to pray for two things. One, revival in the church and a great awakening in the land. And uh, I want you to join that movement and uh, be a part of that. I want you to know this is a God moment for us. Uh, when, when you just stop and think about the election of David Platt as president of the International Mission Board, I'm telling you, God is moving. Isn't that exciting news? Now, if you give me a few more amens, this will go a lot quicker. I serve in a town that's 53% African-American. I'm used to people preaching back at me and giving me a little response, all right? Amen, brother. Hallelujah. Hey, if I, if I think you're not with me about halfway through this sermon, I'll start all over again. You don't want that to happen. Now, let, let me tell you, because I'm serving as president of the uh, convention there in Virginia, they wanted uh, Virginia's response to... Uh, Dr. Platt being elected because he's going to be one of us. He's moving to Richmond. And, and I, here was my response. Leadership is influence. And David Platt has already been a leader of a new generation when it comes to missions. We just made him our leader now in Southern Baptist life. And I believe that he will raise up the greatest army of young people to take the gospel to the nations that Southern Baptists have ever seen. Amen, Dr. Reed, Alvin Reed. Good to see you, brother. Uh, we could spot you anywhere in the place, all right? Well, if you will catch the vision 
the heartbeat of what Jesus says right here in Luke chapter 5. It'll be life-changing. It'll not only change your life, it'll change your ministry. And uh, I've taken the title of the message from verse 4. In verse 4, he told him to launch out into the deep. So the title of the message is Go Deep. Everybody say, Go Deep. That's why you're here. You want to go deep in your walk with God. You want to go deep in the things of God. And if you want to go from your current level to the next step in your walk with God, God has a word for you today. Luke chapter 5, I'll begin reading in verse 1. And the first thing I want you to write down is this. The three moves you're going to have to make in order to go deep. And the first move is this. Number one, learn more. Learn more. Look at verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Uh, they had been fishing all night, caught nothing. Uh, the fact that they're washing their nets means that they had quit. They'd stopped. Verse 3 says, Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught. Now here it is. He taught the multitudes from the boat. Number one, if we're going to go deep, the first move you have to make is to learn more. Get to the feet of Jesus. Let Jesus continue to teach you what he wants you to know. Following Jesus is more than just an hour on Sunday. We've got to teach our people that, that they need more than an hour on Sunday. Well, this is how you make disciples. You want to make disciples? Get them to the feet of Jesus. Tell them to get into a quiet time and get into the Word every day and let Jesus speak to them. We want people who are just casual attenders to move to walking with Jesus. And I believe even those of us who have been saved a long time, I just celebrated 30 years in the ministry, uh, I believe that as we go to Jesus every day and sit at His feet, it's fresh. And He gives us the fuel and He gives us the fire that we need for ministry. Now, uh, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. And, and, you know, everybody's trying to be cool and creative and cutting edge. Let me tell you, Jesus was cutting edge. He preached from a boat. Dr. Aiken, have you ever preached from a boat? I mean, when, he improvised. When the crowd, crowd grew too large, the multitudes, for them to see or hear him, he got in a boat, pushed out on the water so his voice would project. And, and he's the first one here who is doing something new, doing something different. So I say to you today, don't be afraid to try something new. Don't be afraid to do what? God impresses upon you to do. The reason you're here is to learn more. To learn more from Him. So don't be afraid. You know, I would say to you, be a lifelong learner. You know, if you're going to the mission field, you have to learn the culture. If you're going to the local church, you better learn the culture. Right here in America. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice that someone gave me was this. After uh, pastoring in Georgia and Arkansas, I moved to the East Coast, and I'm just telling you, it's different on the East Coast. And, and so a pastor friend told me, he said, Grant, forget everything you thought you knew, and you learned the culture. And I began to watch, and I noticed that everything was a festival. It's Blackbeard Festival, Seafood Festival, Wine Festival, Jazz Festival. Everything's a festival. And so uh, I'd been there uh, four weeks, and they said, well... We're going to have the annual picnic. I said, what's the annual picnic? They said, we go out on the ball fields and, and we cater in a meal from Rocky Mount, North Carolina. And they said, we go out there. And I said, what's the purpose? They said, 
The purpose is just fellowship. I said, let's change the purpose to evangelism. Everybody invite four friends. And I love living in a military community because you just give them their marching orders and they do it. I said, how many do you expect? They said, the most we've ever had was 1,800. The next Sunday, we had over 4,000 people. We didn't have room for them. So we had to set up, literally, three screens in the gym, put a praise band over there, and it was a true simulcast. And, and, and we put 1,000 chairs over there. And, and listen, we had 1,256 visitors cards turned in that Sunday. We knew if half of them came back, we had to have that service. So for the next five years, we did a multi-site in the gym. Right next door, across the hall. And, and so I want you to, to, to not be afraid to try something new and learn the culture and don't give up. Take advantage of every opportunity that God's given you right now in seminary to learn more and let Jesus teach you about reaching people and being fishers of men. It says here they were washing their nets. Let me tell you something about school. You're going to get tired. Let me tell you something about ministry. Uh, you're going to be exhausted. It's part of life, and it's part of ministry. And there are times when you're going to feel like giving up. There are times when you are going to fail. They fished all night and caught nothing. But failure didn't have to be final. Get back to the feet of Jesus. Learn more of what Jesus wants you to learn. Let me tell you, it all comes back to this. Basically, everything comes back to your walk with God. Let me give you some encouraging statistics. Two out of three of you will not finish, and two out of three of you within five years of finishing will not be in the ministry. Are you encouraged? You better get to the feet of Jesus. You see, the only thing that's going to keep you in the ministry is your walk with Jesus. It will not be the degree hanging on the wall from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's the call of God on your life that's going to keep you in the ministry. You look at someone who's had a moral failure, I promise you, you can always trace it back to their devotional life where they stop walking with God. See, the most important thing I'm going to do today is not preach at, at Southeastern. The most important thing I did was when I got up at 445 and got on my knees before God and got in His Word. You read the Word. You pray the Word. You don't know what to pray. Pray Scripture. Pray the Word. How's your prayer life? How's your devotional life? And I know you're reading a lot of good books, and I know you're going to read some great commentaries, but the Bible will shed a lot of light on those commentaries. <laughs> oh, what's the, what's, the, what's the latest book that you read? Well, the most important book that you've read recently is the Bible. Learn more. And by the way, we went on vacation for two weeks, me and my wife, this summer, and she loves to lay out on the beach, and it drives me crazy and so I just get up under a you know shade tree somewhere ne next to her or a cabana next to her and I'd, I'd carry me a, uh, literally a suitcase of books and I read a book a day and loved it be a lifetime learner but the most important book that I read every day was this one keep it all in perspective learn more from Jesus well here's the second thing I want you to write down the next move you're going to have to make other than learn more is launch out everybody say launch out Look at verse 4. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great, everybody say great, great number of fish. And their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners. Everybody say partners. partners. 
signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. The second move you have to make is this. You have to launch out. You see, we grow to go. We learn to launch. I want to give you three words. The first one is multi-generational. A healthy church is multi-generational where the older and the younger learn from each other and have a mutual respect for one another. I had a lady uh, in her 80s and she came to me one Sunday and she said, well, Pastor, I've changed my mind about those little ditties. I thought, little ditties? She said, yeah, I've got to where I like those little ditties. She said, you know, those songs like we sing in vacation Bible school. She said, you know, those, those songs that we sing in church every Sunday and it's, it's just two or three lines. We sing them over and over again. Those little ditties. You know what I'm talking about. I said, oh, courses. Yeah. She said, yeah, I got to where I like those little ditties. She said, Pastor, you see, I'm a widow. And the other night in my bedroom, I was so lonely. And one of those little ditties came to my mind and I just started singing it to Jesus. And Jesus became so real to me in that room. Pastor, I kind of like those little ditties now. Now that's it. In her 80s, learning more. In her 80s, launching out. She, she, there's something about church life she's yet to learn. And I tell you, a uh, church needs to be multi-generational. We learn and respect every generation. We learn from one another. Multicultural. Uh, I told you I pastor in a town that is 53% African American. When I went there, it was 48% African American eight years ago. Uh, but it was the big white Republican church. I'm just being honest. I could count the African American families on one hand and have some fingers left over. But I want you to know God has changed our church. And now our church reflects our community. And if your church is not reflecting your community, it doesn't reflect heaven. All people, all races, all nations. You know, now it's, it's just incredible. I mean, we've got African Americans who usher, who greet, they're in the choir, they're on staff, uh, they're deacons, they're teaching small groups. I'm telling you, I love pastoring a multi-generational church. You say, well, how did that happen? Well, it doesn't happen overnight. And it's not something man does, only God can do it. But we started printing in all of our bulletins, all of our graphics, any of our promotion. We started printing not who we were, but who we wanted to be. And then they, everybody in the community got the message that everyone's welcome at Liberty. Multi-generational, multicultural, and then the third word's multi-site. Now, whether you like multi-sites or not, they're here to stay. Amen, J- J.D.? I mean, whether we like them or not, they're here to stay. I'm just telling you. And, uh, you know, I sent the staff over to J.D. and met with him and his staff, and I said, tell us how to do this. And, and I want you to know, next Sunday will be one year since we launched our, our second campus, and we started with 173 adults and their children, so about 300 people. Today, last Sunday, they had over 800 there. On Easter weekend, they had over 2,000 there, and it is self-supportive. And we announced this past Sunday we're launching our third campus one year from now. Now, I say that to say to you, launch out. Everybody say, launch out. The church has to launch out. And I want you to know that you personally have to launch out. I'm not saying that every church needs to be a multi-site church. Hear me carefully. There are seven letters to seven churches. And the letter to Pergamos wouldn't have made much sense to the church at Ephesus. So, I'm not saying that's a letter for your church. But if you live in 1.7 million people, they're not all coming to one address. And on Judgment Day, we're going to give an account for where God placed us 
as a local church in that Hampton Roads community. And so I want you to understand that we're launching out. And what I do love about uh, multi-sites is this. You have to reproduce everybody and everything. You have to have a whole new praise team. You've got to have a whole new crew of nursery workers. You've got to have a whole new crew of, of, of ushers and greeters and, and, and staff. By the way, I'm looking for good staff members today. Anybody looking for a job, see me after the service today. All right, but hey, hey seriously, we, it, it's the book of Acts. It's multiplication. And, and, and it's also John 17 where Jesus prayed that the church would be one. And so I'm saying to you, we need for people to move from just sitting to serving and to using their gifts and talents for the Lord. We have to overcome excuses, overcome experience, overcome expertise. I mean, Peter, he is a, a professional fisherman. Jesus is a carpenter. He said, Lord, I fished all night and caught nothing. Everybody knows you, you fish in the night in the shallow. You're telling me to go out in the daytime in the deep. That's not the way you do it. Uh, my wife and I came back from vacation a year ago, and the staff said, uh, uh, we really need to do something about marriages. And God already laid on our heart. We thought we'd sit down with maybe about 150 couples and just, just go through a book on marriage. And uh, the staff said, hey, if, if you do a weekend, it'll help some people. If you'll do six weeks, it'll help more. But if you'll do 12 weeks, it'll be life-changing. And I foolishly let my staff talk me into 12 Wednesday nights. My wife and I on a platform. Bearing our soul about marriage. Twelve weeks. We had 500 to sign up, 1,500, 2,000, over 3,000 signed up. And I'm telling you, they kept coming. It grew. And we saw over 300 saved, not just baptized, joined the church, saved out of a marriage seminar. And so I want you to know, you have to get out of your comfort zone. And, and, and you have to be willing for God to, to launch you out. Get out of your comfort zone. Uh, every church is either going to have dying pains or growing pains. I like growing pains better, amen? So we went back and we did six weeks on parenting. Somebody moved to our community recently, just came to the new members class, and they said, hey, the guy I work with gave me a set of the DVDs on parenting. Said so we got our seven-year-old to start watching it because we didn't want to be just the mean old parents. By session four, he looked at us and said, Mom and Dad, I've got to be saved and I've got to be saved now. And they led their seven-year-old to the Lord watching a parenting seminar on DVD. We're fishing and we're throwing the net and we want to use more than one boat. Do you get it? It's more than Sunday morning. It might be marriage, it might be parenting, but you're looking to use every boat available to win people to Jesus. Uh, you, you see right here, and, and by the way, you are studying and preparing to serve the local church, right? Well, let me just tell you this. Jesus loved the church, gave himself for it. So if you don't love the church, you're in the wrong place. Love the church like Jesus loved the church. Second thing, go to church while you're here. It's alarming how many people are studying for the ministry, and yet while they're studying for the ministry, they don't get involved in a local church somewhere. You say, well, I can't find a good one. You think Jesus found a good synagogue? But he still went. Paul didn't find a good synagogue, but he still went. Get yourself in the local church and quit telling me what's wrong with all the other churches. Find a church. They, they had a great catch. I love this. We don't have a good commission. We've got a great commission. 
It's not a good commandment. It's a great commandment. And we see here uh, that we're to win souls. I love what Nick Ripkin said in his book, Insanity of Obedience. He said on the mission field, he was talking to one of the pastors about how many members they had. And they ended up saying, hey, we may have that many members, but we really don't count them as true followers of Jesus till they win somebody else to Christ. Jesus said, if you follow me, you will be fishers of men. And there's going to be a great catch. Look down here at the next word, partners, partners. You say, what's the big deal about the International Mission Board? What's the big deal about the North American Mission Board? What's the big deal about the Southern Baptist Convention? I'll tell you what the big deal is. We're partners together. None of us can do by ourselves what all of us can do together. And so we're part of a bigger family. Now, some of you are going to leave. You're going to launch out to be church planners. J.D. talked about that today. And, man, that is the uh, hot topic at the moment. Praise God for it. You know, a a 9 out of 10 church plants failed historically, but that is changing now. And so praise God for the new emphasis on church planting. And I give you a list of the churches that Liberty has planted, both here uh, in in Virginia and around that area and across the country. But let me tell you, don't... Remember the seven letters to seven churches? You better find out what God wants you to do. If you go out there to to be a church planner because it's the cool thing and God didn't call you to do it, you're going to fail. And some of you may be like me. I only pastored three churches, and guess what? They were all over 100 years old. I was in Nashville this past week, and I'm talking to a a group. They want me to write a book called Breathing New Life in Old Churches. That's our story. We've seen God breathe new life into old churches. And some of you are going to have to go to some old, hard places. And, and, and let me tell you, when, when I went to Lavaca, Arkansas, a town of, a, listen, a thousand people had 196 our first Sunday. They had run off every preacher who had ever been there, over 100 years old. The pastor across the town at a neighboring city had been there 30 years. He told me when I got to town, he said, when I heard you were coming 22 years old to be the pastor at that church where they'd run every pastor off, I said, Lord, they've thrown the lamb to the wolves. That'll encourage you. But I want you to know, 19 years later, you remember they ran off every preacher and nobody stayed over three years? 19 years later, that church had over 2,500 members in a town of 1,000. And I, I want you to know, it was a God story. And I wouldn't take anything for going to that church that was over 100 years old. I'm at Liberty in Hampton, Virginia. It's over 100 years old. I'm at the Southern Baptist Convention in Greensboro, North Carolina, and they came up to me. I was supposed to meet with the committee the next day, and they came to me, just bumped into a pastor and his wife, and they said, we hear you're talking to that church. Oh, hadn't you heard about that church? You don't want to go to that church. Well, you heard Dr. Aiken say today, we've seen over 3,500 people baptized because I went to that church. We now have three campuses because I went to that church. Are you getting the point? You better find out where God wants you to be. It may be to launch out and plant a church. It may be to launch out and go to some church that's 100 years old. Bottom line is this. Get to the feet of Jesus. Learn more from Him. Launch out and do whatever He tells you to do. And all God's people said. The third and last thing I want you to see is this. The third move you have to make. Leave more. Learn more. Launch out. And then here it is. Leave all. Learn more. Launch out. And number three. Leave all. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. It wasn't, look at what I've done. Let me tell you, when God moves, you fall on your face and know it's a move of God. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners, there's the word again, with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. I'm saying that's his word to you today. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they have brought their boats to the land, here it is, they forsook all and followed him. Let me tell you how serious this is. Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 33, Whoever follows me and does not forsake all cannot be my disciple. Didn't say it's hard to be. He said you cannot be. In this, I told you, this is how we make disciples. They learn from Jesus. Then they launch out and start serving Jesus. And, and then what? They leave all, full surrender, all to Jesus, I surrender. You know, some people look at fishing as a hobby, just something you do on Saturday or Sunday, something you do on the weekends. And for a lot of Christians, winning souls is just a hobby. For a lot of churches, it's just a hobby. It's not priority. Look at their calendar. Look at their schedule. Look at their budget. It's just a hobby. I'm telling you, for some people, it's not a hobby. It's serious business. That's their livelihood, and they're out whether it is rain or shine, whether it's hot or cold. And I want you to know, for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, winning souls is not a hobby. It's serious business. It's priority number one. He says, don't be afraid. A lot of churches are afraid. Well, we get all these people in here, they're going to mess up our church. We're going to lose control. I mean, let me tell you about fish. They're messy, slimy, smelly, and a lot of people have that attitude. We, we don't want these people in because they're messy. Their life's messed up. We, I don't want those kids around my kids. I don't want them in my Sunday school class. I don't want them around my kids in the youth group. You know I'm telling the truth. Their attitude is they're afraid and they don't want around these people because, hey, they need to be cleaned up. And if Jesus is big enough to catch them, He's big enough to clean them up. So we need to stop trying to clean up the fish and just catch fish. The Holy Spirit will do His work of sanctification and clean the fish up. Amen? The ultimate goal is full surrender. Leave all. You know, you're, you're, I hope you're willing to say, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. Uh, I was willing to say that when I was a young preacher. I'll go anywhere, do anything. A lot easier to say then than it, it was in 2006. I've been pastor 19 years. Lord, can I at least make 20? I mean, who wants to say 19 years? You know, 20 sounds a lot better. My wife just been diagnosed with a brain tumor Christmas of 05, and God wants us to move in 06. It's not good timing. Have you ever told God it's not good timing? And yet, through our devotions through that quiet time, we were convinced God was telling us to go, and my wife was not able to fly, wasn't able to travel. We went to a place we'd never seen. First time we were there is when we were in view of a call. Went solely on our devotional life and walk with Jesus. On the uh, Tuesday morning before we were to be there on Thursday, my wife was crying saying, I'm so weak from the surgery, I, I don't think I can do it. I said, baby, I don't want to do it. This church has been my life 19 years. It's the only home that my children know. I'm going to call the chairman of the committee right now and say to him, we're not coming. Thank you, but we're not coming. We sat there for a moment crying, and then we said this. The only reason that we said we would go 
is because God spoke to us through our devotion. So let's see what our devotion is today. We were reading from a one-year Bible. We were reading from a book called uh, Springs in the Valley. And on that day, that Tuesday morning, our devotion was Jeremiah 1-7. You know what it says? Wherever I send thee, thou shalt go. We closed the Bible. We dried up the tears. I, I was afraid God would kill me if I, if I didn't go, you know. It didn't get any plainer than that. And I'm saying that's what, that's what walking with Jesus is all about. Get in the Word, get a Word from God, and then you can make it through the tough times. And so we went, and I'm glad that we went. You know, ultimately, you've got to love the one who called you more than the call. You've got to love people more than you love preaching to people. Dr. Aiken, I was on a plane, and I'll close with this story. I was on a plane in Atlanta, and we were getting ready to fly back to Arkansas. And I want you to think about leaving all now. It was before 9-11, and a man in, in just plain civilian clothing went up behind the counter at American Airlines and began to poke around on the computer, and my wife said, he, he's not wearing anything that says American Airlines. She said, he's a terrorist. She said, something's not right. I said, baby, it's okay. And so when we boarded the plane, went through first class, and no one was in first class, no one. And I was two rows behind the little curtain in first class. I, I wasn't flying first class. I'm a preacher, okay? And I want you to know, we, we taxied out to the runway, and all of a sudden, people, it's a full flight, and people were so busy just in their own world. And I look out the window, and I see all these black limos. And I see Metro uh, Atlanta police. And, and all of a sudden, this whole entourage came and took over first class. And I spotted someone. I said, that is the prime minister of England. I know it. I've seen him on television. I told my wife, I said, that's him. She said, no, it's not. I said, that's him. No, it's not. We're halfway from Atlanta to Dallas. You do understand that when we go up in the rapture, we either are going to go through Atlanta or Dallas. That's just part of it, all right? And I look at my wife and I said, hey, I said, that is him and I'm going up there to meet him. She said, you're going to get shot. I said, start praying. I went through that little blue curtain and when I did, these two guys got the little, you know, telephone looking wire coming out their ear there Homeland Security people, man, when I went through, they stood up. So you know what I did? I don't know why, J.D., I just squatted down. <laughs> and they said, can we help you? And I said, I couldn't help but notice who that is. I said, can I meet him? And they said, he's eating right now. They said, where are you seated? I said, two rows behind this curtain. They said, if you promise not to tell anybody he's on this plane, Ten minutes before we land in Dallas, we'll, we'll motion for you and you can come meet him. I went back. I sat down. I said, it's him. It's him. I knew it was him. <laughs> and then I got just fearful. I thought, what am I going to say? <laughs> so sure enough, ten minutes before, they motioned for me. And I went up there and I sat down beside him. I shook his hand. I got his autograph to prove the story because I knew you wouldn't believe it. But anyway, he asked me this question. He said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a preacher of the gospel. I'm a pastor. And even though he was nice and cordial, at that moment, the conversation was over. 
He wasn't interested in talking about spiritual things. He wasn't interested to talk to a minister or a pastor. And I left disappointed, and I went back, and I sat down beside my wife. There were three seats in that row. And as I sat there, and we were in our descent to Dallas, this little girl, I say, little girl, she's your age. She's seminary age, young girl, single. She's crying. I hadn't noticed her the whole flight because I'd been enamored with this world figure and political leader. And she looked at me, and she said, you're a pastor, aren't you? I said, I am. I said, how did, how did you know? She said, you just look like one. I guess we all look sick. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> she looked at me and she said, uh, I've just broken up with my boyfriend. I just left my mom and dad. And I'm on this plane going to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. And I'm scared to death. And I looked at her. And I said, my wife and I know where you are. We've been where you are. And let me tell you, it is worth it. And you and your boyfriend, God will put you together if you're supposed to be together. If not, uh, you wouldn't have him off a Christmas tree. I mean, God has somebody chosen for you. I said, what is your name? I mean, we're about to land. I said, what is your name? She said, Hope. I said, I want to pray for you. And said, we held hands in that circle, just the three of us. God brought to my mind, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans of good and not evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And when I finished praying with her, she looked at me and she said, I'm so glad God put you on this plane next to me. And when I got off that plane, I felt about that tall. I said, dear Lord, forgive me. I have been so enamored with a world figure, a political leader. I missed this one. And that guy wasn't interested in spiritual things. She was very interested in spiritual things. I said, Lord, don't ever let me miss those opportunities again. And I want you to know, talking to a world leader is not going to change the world. Let me tell you, she can change the world. You can change the world. You are going to be the next missionaries, the next church planters, the next pastors and staff members to go into the churches that already exist. You can change the world. That's why you're here. But you're going to have to learn more. You're going to have to get to Jesus. Be willing to launch out. You're going to have to be willing to leave all. Or Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity I've had today to share what you've done in our life and ministry. I pray it's been an encouragement to faculty members and to students. Lord, we have no story to tell except your story. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for calling us into your service. And Lord, I pray, regardless of how long we've been saved, regardless of how long we've been in the ministry, that Lord, you'll still be teaching us more. None of us have arrived. Lord, let our walk with you be fresh. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be willing to launch out, to go anywhere, to do anything that you call us to do. Help us to be willing to leave all. To be faithful unto death. God, don't let us do anything to grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't let us do anything to hurt the cause of Christ. To be a stumbling block. But Lord, use our lives, I pray, for your name's sake, for your glory, to accomplish your eternal purposes. I pray it in Jesus' name.
Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.